Welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. I'm your host, Amber. My vision for this podcast is to showcase experts in the keto carnivore community, as well as those who have compelling stories that inspire and give others hope. My wish is that no one has to suffer like I did. If you find value in this podcast, please consider subscribing and hitting that notification button. And as always, feel free to share. Thank you so much for your support. Hi, I'm Amber, and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with us. Her name is Natalia, and I'm going to let her say her last name in just a second, but she is a binge recovery coach, and this is something that I deal with a a lot with my clients, so I wanted to have her on and pick her brain. Welcome, Natalia. Hi, hello, everybody. I'm Natalia, and my... And I'm Natalia Staniszewska, which you might recognize that it's a Polish name because I'm Polish, but currently I'm living in the Netherlands. And yes, indeed, currently uh, I, I do work mostly with people who struggle with binge eating and overeating. That's awesome. I I can't wait to get started on this. But first, let's kind of hear your background, because if I understand it correctly, you actually dealt with binge eating. That was something you struggled with. I want to know all about that, your background, what led you to having this issue that you think and, and how it affected you and why you do what you do now. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I would love to share with everybody. Maybe it can resonate with with many people. So I think that I had struggles with food like all my life because in my family, you know, we didn't really. Um, well, food. I would say that food was the way we expressed our emotions. So we would celebrate with food. I was soothed with food. So uh, very early in my life, I learned to cope with many. Th- struggles in my life with food but the first like binge eating I would say that it started when I was uh, after I went on my first diet so I went on my first diet at the first year at the university and then um and then I just was super hungry and I started binging (laughs) I think that that's pretty pretty also um common that after the first diet people lose weight and then that restriction leads to binge eating and then uh, I actually would say that I recovered for a while by going on a plant-based diet and for a while I was totally okay I didn't struggle with with binge eating Uh, but then after I think like two years my problems came back Um, and then it was a way a lot harder for me to to recover so I had to find my my own way because um, nobody really talked about binge eating back then so uh, I had to, you know, do a lot of research uh, and f- try to find something that really resonates with me. And for me, like the neuroscientific perspective uh, made sense, you know, how to rewire our brain, how to change our habits, because I also studied neuroscience. So I think that that I just found something that that resonated with me. And then it was a lot of like trial and error. So mainly I would say that I recover um from my binge eating uh, through changing habits, uh, ditching the processed foods, and also mindful eating, maybe later on a little bit of intuitive eating. So in general, um, you know, making some, some healthy habit changes. Awesome. Okay, let's, let's also kind of start with a definition of binge eating. When, when you say that, what does that mean? What does that look like? 
Yeah, I think that for most people, um, it is just uh, when they, in a short period of time, when they start eating food and they eat a lot more food than it would be, uh, it would be recognized as normal. So in a short period of time, you eat a lot of food, you feel out of control, like with overeating, I think that you, 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 uh, you would, uh, you know, feel like, oh, I could stop eating, but I don't want to. But with binge eating, I think that there is this lack of control. You feel like you just have to stuff your food, stuff your face with food. So the binge eating, I would say that it's, uh, there's a lot of like lack of control, eating too much, eating until you come uncomfortably full. And also the, the guilt, the, the shame and the negative emotions associated with, with the binge eating episode. And I think that diagnostic criteria also would say that this binge eating has to happen at least like once a week for like three, uh, three months. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. So if, if you were to diagnose somebody, what specific things are you looking for to see if they actually are really a binge eater or if maybe it's something else? What criteria do you use? Uh, honestly, I, I don't diagnose with people, be- diagnose people because for me, if you come to me and you say that you struggle with this and that, I think that this is a, a problem already. If you recognize it as a problem, we can we can work on it. So I don't need to use, I don't need to categorize you and tell you if, if you struggle with binge eating or just overeating. For me, it's very important, uh, you know, your what, what do you think about it? If you think that you are losing control, uh, you know, one, once a month around food, and that's a problem for you because that brings you a lot of negative emotions. I think that it's worth uh, already worth working on it. So it, it doesn't matter how, how often uh, you do it. This is my awesome. take on it. Okay. So, uh, okay. Let's say somebody is not really sure that they have an issue how would they kind of go about uh, examining themselves to, to see if maybe they do have an issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so probably I would start with maybe, uh, you know, emotional aspect. Yeah, like, uh, how do you think, do you, do you lose control around food? How do you feel about it? How do you explain your behavior to yourself? Uh, do you do you feel ashamed of it? Are you doing it alone? Have you ever shared um, your problem with like anybody? I think that those are kind of like the question uh, I would ask that that person because after all, I think that it is pretty subjective because for for some people, um, even eating like a smaller amount of food, but they are losing control around this kind of food already. So sort of like the amount of food doesn't matter as that as, as much. Okay, so what are some ways for somebody to help tackle the issue? Like, what would you recommend them to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so I would say that the process to recovery is quite individualized. So we have to get to a like to um, root cause, because for many people it might be something different, right? Because for some people it's restriction because they are on a restrictive diet or they mentally restrict or physically restrict. For other people, it might be a way to deal with the emotions. For other people, it might be um, blood sugar roller coaster because they are constantly eating. Um, 
bad diet, uh, also emotional eating, stress eating. So, uh, so I think that that is important to to find uh, the cause uh, behind it. But after after all of that, it sometimes just becomes a habit. So whatever happens in people's life, they they just reach for food to deal whatever with whatever happens. Absolutely. So if if somebody has like an emotional connection to food and, and you've kind of figured out that that is the root cause, what would you have them do to get them out of that? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to feel, I would, I would recommend to start feeling their, their emotions because somehow we, as an adults, maybe as a child, children, we were already taught to, you know, Keep it, a whole, keep it together, don't show your emotions, you don't have to cry, there's no need to cry. So uh, from the very early age, we were taught that um, to suppress our emotions. So I think that it's important for everybody to, to learn how to feel our feelings without needing to, to numb them, to buffer with food or with alcohol. So there are, before, before we can change any behavior, I think that first we have to recognize what is happening. So be aware of what kind of emotions do we feel? And then after awareness comes acceptance. So we also have to learn how to accept what we feel. And after only that, we can, we can change, change that. But I think that just sitting with the emotions and being, being comfortable to it, leaning towards it, welcoming it, those are like important parts because we don't want to like escape, escape from, from our life and always buffer with food. What is the number one thing that you think you deal with as far as being the root cause? What do you see the most often? Um, I would say that the most often is still, unfortunately, just restriction. Just many people going on to very restrictive fat diets, you know, maybe doing some shakes or trying to survive on like 1200 calories a day, which is the amount that, you know, toddler needs. So I think that that just being in this diet culture mentality and thinking that you have to shrink yourself and eating very low calorie diet that, you know, slow down your metabolism. I think that this is number one uh, problem because then your body tries to rebel against it. So it is, it is like a survival instinct that you're going to have those urges to binge because your body just wants to, um, wants to feed itself because you are creating the starvation mode, right? So, so your body uh, will, will want to satisfy the hunger. Absolutely. So I read something on one of your posts one time about how restrictive eating, dieting, whatever you want to cause, uh, call it, can actually lead to issues with your brain. Talk a little bit about that, because I find that fascinating. And since you kind of studied this, I want to know more about that. Yeah, definitely. Restrictive diets, if you have if you have less calories, that means that you have also less less nutrition because, uh, yeah, less vitamins, minerals, which means that, for example, your neurotransmitters in your brain might be not produced uh, in the amount that they should be. So restrictive diets can can just cause structural and functional changes uh, in the brain. We we know that uh, after we we lower our calorie intake intake we may feel you know more depressed, more fatigued. So there are uh, things associated with very low calorie uh, calorie diets. And, and so. 
is this something that can have lasting effects like way far into your life as far as your health goes and et cetera? And is, is there a way to reverse the damage? And is there anything that can't be reversed? Uh, yeah, I personally believe that that it can be reversed. And I think that the most studies um, were done on people who suffer from anorexia because, um, yeah, anorexia is a severe calorie restriction. So it shows that in the brain there are some structural changes, but it can be reversed. And I had my own personal experience because at some point in my, in my life I was very thin and uh, I lost my period for like two years, but with the uh, adequate caloric intake and with the adequate nutrition, I, um, yeah, I got my period back, which means that even there were some like hormonal changes and my body, of course, didn't wanted me to, to carry any, any children. That's why this menstrual cycle was stopped. I was able to reverse it. And I know that many other women are able to do it as well. So this is one, one of the example that we can uh, brought the health back. I love that. Okay. And this is kind of interesting because you are, you follow a plant-based diet I yeah. follow a meat-based diet mm -hmm. and I kind of want to talk a little bit about that because I find it very interesting because you say that uh, the plant-based diet kind of uh, helped you get over the binge eating and I've heard other people say a meat-based diet does. So I'm curious, what do you, and, and you're one of these people who I just love because even though you do eat differently, you're okay with other people eating the way they eat if it works for their health as am I, you know, if it works for you, it's all great, fine. So how do you think about the blood sugar regulation? Because you did mention that is one issue causing some binge eating. So by eating proper nutrition, it, it helps greatly because it allows you to be able to deal with the other issues and not the constant hunger on top of everything else. So it makes sense. So what do you think is the, the core of that? Because we're completely different, but yet it still helped both of us be able to get over that. Mm -hmm. So what do you think the underlying commonality is? Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, for everybody, something else will work and we'll find everywhere testimonials about different diet working for, I don't know, PCOS, reversing diabetes. So there will be people who will reverse pre-diabetes pre with carnivore diet. There will be people who do it on a plant-based diet. So I think that everybody has to find um, find something that works for them and just try it. And in my case, it was also aligned with my, uh, with my goals. Right. And I found a compelling reason. So for me, that was helpful because, um, it was easier for me maybe to, to restrict myself because I had some ethical reason to, to do not do that, do that. So it wasn't only um, the physiological response to, I don't know, maybe eating carbohydrates or, or just changing micronutrients. It, did, it didn't matter as much as, uh, as a psychological reason uh, that I had compelling why, why I want to do that and why I want to follow that diet. Um, but of course, yeah, I, I agree that, that maybe with the meat-based diet, the, the hormonal regulation is, is totally different and it might help many people because we know that, that maybe protein is more satiated 
satiating. But for example, for me, um, for me, what is satiating is, for example, volume. So I like to, I, I'm volume eater, right? So I will be more satiated after eating something which looks bulky, like a like a salad, and that satiates me. When for other people, it would be like, oh, I, I can't do it. And they would prefer to eat something smaller, but really calorie, uh, calorie dense. So for example, some kind of steak or, or maybe nuts. But for me, those kind of things just doesn't don't work. So uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is something with like stretch receptors in our stomach mm-hmm. that some people react differently for yep. different things. Uh, also, our microbiome because I've been on this on this kind of diet for such a long time that none of the plant foods doesn't cause any like bloating or anything like this. Yeah. So my my microbiome just is adjusted to it, and it also yeah. So I think that that it's somehow holistically all of the things I'm doing works for me. And I think that there are also people for whom it works, but there will be people for whom it doesn't work and they have to, I don't know, maybe go on stricter, uh, strict uh, keto diet. Maybe they have some um, sensitivities. Maybe they the plant food really works bad for them because they have some immune diseases. So there is plethora of, of people and for everybody, I guess something else will work. I totally agree with that. So I saw somewhere where you had tried a uh, vegan approach to keto. Are you still doing that? Uh, no, I guess, uh, to be honest, it was just an experiment, like for uh-huh. YouTube. <laughs> so, uh, okay, how did that go? I'm curious to, because um, to me, it seems like that would be so hard to do, plant-based. Uh, it wasn't It wasn't that hard. Um, I guess that in my opinion, following that kind of diet for a long time would be a problematic because, uh, for example, I didn't, when I, you know, put my macronutrients and what I ate to like chronometer, then I saw that I didn't get enough calcium and, and also like iron, which is, <laughs> which is, uh, which is needed. Pretty important. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't do that. I just did that as an, as an experiment and that was like totally fine, but I, I just prefer a different style of eating, but to be honest, from time to time, because I want to keep that metabolic flexibility from time to time, you know, for a couple of days, I will try to go a little bit low carb, or I will extend my intermittent fasting, just to, uh, to keep my body, um, this metabolic flexibility that I'm able to burn both, both, you know, carbs and both fat that, um, that I can switch, switch the fuel. Very interesting. Now, did you ever try uh, testing your blood to kind of see what your uh, blood sugar does? Um, that, that is, you know, the basis of pretty much everything I do is trying to keep your blood sugar regulated. So I'm very curious. I'm interested. I, I'm yeah. not, you know, trying to find a, you know, a way to, you know, say my diet's better. I'm generally curious how that worked out. Uh, yeah, so from time to time, I do wear continuous glucose monitor from, from like Freestyle Libre. Um, and and it, it works. It's a sensor that works for like 12, um, 14, 14 days and you wear it on, my, on, your, on your arm for people who, who don't know what, what is that. So I would say that, uh, that I can eat in a way that, that is, you know, very good for my blood sugar. And I can do also other uh, activities that will support healthy blood sugar regulation. So I would say that at this point, I know what kind of like little hacks to do to keep my blood sugar stable. Uh, but of course, if, if 
I would um, eat fruit or yeah, I, I do have a meals that are not really aligned with um, with the principles of eating for for healthy blood sugar levels. So from time to time, I'm gonna get like a gotta get a huge spike of, of glucose, but uh, but it's fine. I guess that uh, that from time to time it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. But in in general, I would say that it is doable even if you eat more carbs, especially if you do it. Um, wisely for example after or before a workout that's the first example <laughs> and what about naked carbs you, you've talked a little bit about that too so explain what that is and how regardless of your diet how uh, working with or actually eliminating the naked carb part is beneficial yeah, totally. So naked carbs are carbohydrates that you eat without uh, without any sort of fat or protein. So for example, simple carbs uh, like maybe some crackers, bread, fruits, those are naked carbs. So they will definitely cause a um, blood sugar uh, spike, uh, and it is seen in a in a continuous glucose monitor if you if you do do it. So. It is not, I, I wouldn't advise doing that because then you get a, a huge spike. You also get a huge spike of insulin. And if you're gonna, you know, continue doing that all day for a couple of weeks, then, then you're gonna uh, have some problems. That's why if you are going to eat carbs, it's better to pair them with, with some fats, with some proteins so that the spike is, is lowered because it slows down the digestion, your, yeah, um, yeah, it, it just slows down the release of, of glucose. So the glucose spike will be lower. I am fascinated by that. And that is one thing that I plan on testing. Um, I have my CGM. I just, I haven't put it on yet. Just too much craziness. So I plan on doing that and I'm hoping to do it like Sunday. So I have that day that 24 hours to calibrate or whatever, but yeah. I want to test that because I, I find that just so interesting. And I've heard of the people who have tested it and swear that it, that happens. So yeah. I, I'm super curious about that. Um, let's talk a little bit about how uh, blood sugar dysregulation can affect binge eating and why it's important not to have these big spikes all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I would say that what I've gathered from my information is that I feel hungry when when the trend of glucose is going down. So I don't have to really have a very low glucose level to feel hunger, but if, if it is going down, I feel, I feel different and I feel hungry. So I think that similar situation may happen with people who struggle with binge eating. If they are eating a lot of processed foods and they, blood sugar, and they have like a blood sugar roller coaster, then they're gonna be disconnected with their bodies. They won't re really know what true hunger is, because every time the, the glucose level will go down, they may experience hunger, then they will again reach for some processed foods that again gonna spike glucose level. So I think that uh, for many people like bad nutrition and, and reaching for processed foods might contribute to um, to, to maybe sometimes sometimes binge eating, but also like overeating and maybe snacking, and um, yeah. So so this is what I what I see. That's why it's it's important to when we are working with people who struggle with binge eating, to also take a look at what are they uh, eating. Absolutely, and and food addiction 
and binging kind of go hand in hand, don't you think? Because it just makes it that much harder to deal with the issue at hand if you're putting all this addictive foods in your body, because let's face it, many foods are designed specifically to addict you. <laughs> you know, they have scientists that work on that. So how does that kind of uh, work against you together, but against you? Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. It's good that you that you've mentioned um, that that the foods are designed in in that way. There are scientists who are paid to you know to find a bliss point of of food. Yes. Um, so yes, uh, there there are some people who will be super sensitive because in our brain we've got something called a reward center, and for some people. Um, different kind of foods may, may hit their reward center in a, in a different, different way so that they may feel very addicted, uh, addicted to, or they may perform like addictive behaviors towards, uh, towards the, the food. So I think that, that if you are on a wrong type of diet and you feel like you have like addictive personality, then you, you, you have a problem. And that's why maybe we see this obesity um, epidemic right now, because we are living in obesogenic environment where, where all of the foods are that all of the foods have addictive uh, properties and we don't have to really work for them it's not like we have to hunt for uh, hunt for cookies because they are just available for us we've got we can call somebody to to bring us food so we are far away from <laughs> from how we evolved very far from that it's yeah. kind of amazing and you know for people who don't know this information it, it, it makes me sad. And that's why I do what I do and yeah. why you do what you do, yeah. trying to bring light to this. And, you know, there's a real negative uh, view of people who have a binge eating disorder. And I see this all the time. And quite frankly, it ticks me off because there's this Oh, well, you just don't have any self-control. You yes. just need to buckle down, gut up and do it because you're just lazy and, you know, you just don't want to do the work. Well, they don't understand that it's an eating disorder. It's a disorder. Yeah. You know, would yeah. you tell an alcoholic that? Oh, well, yeah. just put down the booze. It's that easy. You have no self-control. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that because I think that negativity it, is just not helpful. It's just not helpful. It's not going to help anybody. Oh, okay. Now that you said that, I'm just going to put the food down and never binge again. I mean, that's not helpful. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree that there is a stigma around it, and many people just believe that it's a willpower problem, self-control problem, and that's that's totally not true, and that prevents many people from from reaching out for for help because they think that this is something uh, that they have a problem, maybe that is a personality or some kind of psychological uh, problem, and that's um, that's very harmful because many people will eat more intuitively. They will be like normal eaters. And for them, it's really hard to imagine how, how do you struggle with food? Like, what are you don't feel satiety. And for, for many of us, that may be also, also true, because if I'm thinking about, you know, people who struggle with gambling addiction, for me, it's also hard to wrap my head, head around, around that. Like, Come on, like you, you can't right. just stop doing, stop going to the, the, the exactly. casino, right? Yeah. So, so partially, I do understand uh, people who um, who don't understand people who who struggle with binge uh, eating disorder, uh, but I think that uh, that's important to to just. Um, 
to know that maybe we don't understand something, but we still should have compassion towards those people and and do not like give unsolicited advice. Like, okay, you struggle with something. Maybe I don't understand it, but I think that you still deserve help. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it just, it, I find it very frustrating because like I'll post something and then in the comments, oh, well, it's just these little rude things. And I'm like, obviously you've never dealt with an eating disorder or maybe you've never had an addiction of anything. And so it makes it really hard to understand, but to be so, you know, put down to all these people who do struggle because there are a lot of people that struggle. Okay. Let's talk about intuitive eating. Since you brought that up, I find the concept, um, I, I don't know what the right word is, but I always wished I could be an intuitive eater. I'm yes. not, I, I, I can't, I, I'm not one of these. I, I mean, I'm better now. I, I yes. can, you know, like have something off plan on very specific occasions and it doesn't throw me down a rabbit hole. Other people it would. So how does one become an intuitive eater when they have a binge eating disorder or they're like severely addicted to carbs or sugar or whatever it may be? Mm-hmm. I think that the best is to approach it um, like every other skill, like, you know, uh, like training yourself to to eat intuitively, which at the beginning is going to take a lot of effort because, for example, you have to assess what is your hunger, what is your satiety before, after, after meal, what are my emotions, am I eating from psychological reasons because I'm really hungry or am I eating from emotional reasons? So I think that gaining a lot of self-awareness somewhere down the, the road may help us to eat more intuitively but um, there's also an issue with you know emotion with intuitive eating and intuitive eating trademark (laughs) because uh, intuitive eating for me is like eating with intuition as you said maybe using your brain but also your intuition and mixing it up together so that uh, you eat what you know that is good for you but from time to time you eat something else, but it doesn't, uh, you, you don't spiral, but there is also, you know, the intuitive eating, like intuitive eating book and, and trade, trademark uh, intuitive eating. So that is like totally uh, something else. Um, yeah, I don't know what was the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you, no uh, you, you pretty much answered that, but uh, it, I actually read a book, the intuitive yeah. eating or whatever. I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a bunch yeah. of them, but uh, this was one of the popular ones, one of the first ones that come out. Yeah. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm missing. That's what it is. Yes. And yeah. and I got all excited and it didn't work for me. It just I, didn't I think work felt- along. And it's yeah. like, I wanted so desperately to yeah. be an intuitive eater. But I I realize now, looking back, that it was the addiction talking. It was, you know, just, you know, you're either an abstainer or, you know, you can moderate. I'm not really a moderator. Again, right now, I can have a little something every once in a blue moon, and and I'm fine with that. But there are many people who can't. So I, I just find that that whole concept very interesting. So yeah. So your kind of definition of intuitive eating is a little bit different than like what you said would have been in that book, because, you know, everybody wants 
to hear that you can eat whatever food you want. It's just, you know, uh, moderation. Yeah. So what yeah. is your view on moderation? Well, I, I totally agree that it works for some people. And I wanted to go back and say that I've also read the, the intuitive eating book. And the first time I read it, like, oh, my God, that's the answer for every everything. Everybody yes. should know about this book. It's going to heal the world. And yeah, after a while, it's just it just not what I wanted. And you are right that this addictive voice, um, I, I call it like more like primitive brain, my, that my primitive brain, you know, started talking and you're like self-sabotaging yourself because you don't know if when you're eating a cookie, whether it's your addiction talking or whether it's you're just following your intuition and you're doing what you're supposed to do. So for me, there was just too much, too much confusion and it didn't really that much help me. So, so at some point, um, yeah, I still believe that, that it works for some people. Um, and totally there are many people who can moderate and even if they are moderating uh, highly processed foods they are still able to achieve their goals physical goals health goals but i don't think for that that it's for for everybody um yeah <laughs> that's my that's my yeah. answer <laughs> yeah i would love to be an intuitive eater one that can moderate things yeah. but i also understand that where I come from, that's just not possible. And the other thing too, that, that really kind of bothers me with all of that is I'm not saying never, ever, ever, ever in your life, ever have a food again, yeah. but let's get real. There are some foods that are just better for you and yeah. will help your body. And other foods are just not good for your body, whether yeah. you can tolerate it or not, it's just not a good thing. What is your view on that? For instance, there are different ways of doing in a vegan diet, right? Yeah. You can do it a very wholesome way, or you can eat a lot of junk food. The same yeah. on a carnivore diet, honestly, because you still can have processed, you know, sausage that has a bunch of crud in yeah. it. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? And yeah, keto yeah, too, yeah. same thing. You can do, what, what is your view on that? I mean, where should the importance be? Nutrition yeah. or, you know? Um, yeah, so for me, I, I was always interested very much in, in health and in holistic approach to, to health. So for me, the quality of food is, is really important. So I invest in, you know, organic foods and I'm trying to, to make good, good choices. So for me, this is, this is pretty important because, because I am, um, Again, health is, is important for me, but I know that during maybe binge eating recovery for some people, like the nutrition maybe isn't as important. Maybe it's it's first important to to heal your your attitude towards it because if you believe that that sugar is toxic and it's gonna kill you, it, it it's not helping your recovery because we have to start neutralizing food and see it as you know. Uh, this food is not good. This food is not bad. They just cause different like metabolic response, hormonal response in your body. And it is your choice after all. You may choose to, to eat that food, even if you know that maybe after that you're going to feel shitty, but it is your decision, decision after, after all. And I think that, that it matters what you do most of the time and what is the, the reason behind what you are doing. Because uh, I might choose healthier option, but I, I'm choosing healthier option because I'm choosing healthier option and not because I'm afraid of unhealthy option. I think that it is also your intention uh, behind your choices matters. 
I get that. That makes sense to me because like some people like with the carnivore diet, they're like, oh, well, you're scared of carbs. No, I'm not scared of carbs at all. I don't have a problem with carbs, whatever, but I do recognize what it does to my blood sugar, which in return affects my insulin, which in turn affects my health. And I'm choosing not to do that. I'm not scared of them. I don't demonize them. I don't think that, you know, no person ever in the world should ever have another carb. No, I don't believe that. So I like that approach. And so with most of your clients, you are dealing obviously with the mental, the psychological, and do you ever move into the nutrition part with them or is it strictly more of the, the mental aspect of it? Uh, Yes, uh, I do also nutrition, but it's more like monitoring to check what they are doing and if they are making like a huge mistakes then i i'm trying to correct it but in general um diet diet isn't as as that um important of course i'm I'm giving some tips what can be what can be improved but i had person on a keto diet who was actually type 1 diabetic so i worked with her i'm also working with like uh, people who are on the normal um like regular standard diets so uh so if if i see that there are big mistakes like nutritionally then then i intervene but other than that it's like yeah your diet your choice i'm going to give you some principles which i would prefer you to follow but again uh, if you are aware of the consequences like the, the the choice is your what kind of diet do you do you follow awesome i like that give me some causes of cravings like what makes somebody crave? What, what do you think some of, of those issues are? Well, cravings are always caused by our thought. <laughs> and what is behind our thought that might be, might be different, different things. So uh, our cravings can be caused by just because maybe uh, we have, uh, because, because, our brain is programmed to, you know, to wanting high calorie foods because they help with our survival. So that's one of the things that because our brain is programmed that way. The second thing is that maybe it's a low blood sugar level. Maybe those are other hormones. Maybe we have a craving because we are insulin resistant. Maybe because we have high amount of stress. Maybe we didn't sleep enough. Um, and maybe it's just a habit. Maybe we want to, um, Maybe we have a craving because we want to regulate our emotions through food. Maybe it's because we have cravings due to hormonal cycle. So again, there, there are lots of, lots of causes. <laughs> so do you believe that if, say, you're having proper nutrition, you're not putting a bunch of junk on your, in your body, your blood sugar is regulated, do you believe that people can actually crave foods that they need? For instance, lacking a certain vitamin and, you know, craving a specific food that has that vitamin in there. Do you believe that's a biological thing or is that still more of a, you know, mental thing? Uh, I think that that it is both, but I do think that that we have some kind of like body wisdom and that we might crave things um, because we lack them nutritionally. And it was proven, especially with pregnant women, you know, pregnant women may Mm -hmm. even crave like um, 
clay because they need yeah. calcium. Yeah, so our people may want to eat dirt. So there are some some nutritional. Uh, so I think that some cravings might be caused by uh, by our body wisdom, and it indicates that we have some nutritional deficiencies. I always hear that, like if you're craving chocolate, it means a certain thing. I think it, what is it, zinc or something? I don't remember what it is. I think I it's think magnesium. It and when you're, just, um, it's like, oh, well, I, I'm craving chocolate. So obviously I'm <laughs> deficient in whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's funny, but I do believe that too. I, I think that, you know, if your body, if you give your body what it needs and, and it doesn't have all that other noise going on with, with your hormones hijacked and stuff that it does kind of tell you what, what it needs. And, and you can trust your body and listen to that voice where I know at one point the cravings, I'm sorry, your body doesn't need a cookie. I don't care what anybody says. You crave a cookie. It's a different yeah, yeah. story than if you crave like red meat or what yeah. broccoli or whatever it may be. Yeah. There's a huge difference there yeah. all the time. Yeah, uh, I totally, I totally agree. Yeah. Okay, so I thought this was interesting too. Your approach is one of, one of the things you do is trying to get your clients to uh, postpone their binge, like yeah. try to hold off their binge. And how do you go about doing that? And how is that beneficial? What is that mm -hmm. doing to your brain? Uh, well, uh, I think that delaying the, the binge is, is pretty important because let's all remember that every habit is wired into our brain as a cascade of, of actions. So we've got the trigger, then we have a thought like desire, then we have an urge, then we have a, a binge, like an action of uh, behavior. So it is all wired in the brain as a cascade of, of things. So I think that for some people, it may be, it may become like a, a automatic response. Like I've got a craving. I have to, I have to eat like no thought I'm on autopilot. I'm just reaching for food. So building that pause is an important moment when we can teach our brain to just decouple those two activities. The couple urge to binge from the binge itself, because right now maybe in the brain, they are wired together. But when we are building that pause, we are decoupling those two activities from, from each other. And in this moment, when you build that pause, when you're trying to delay the binge, uh, you also, ha also have a, a moment to, you know, to reflect what is going on. What, what, what do I feel? Do I feel discomfort? What kind of emotions do I feel? Uh, who is in the driver's seat? Is it my primitive brain or is it my rational brain? So I think that this is very important, uh, very important aspect uh, of a binge eating recovery to, to, um, to stop this compulsive and impulsive behavior. Okay, you, you mentioned primitive brain. How does that play in with everything? I, I was kind of interested in that. Yeah, so uh, our urges, in my opinion, come from uh, our primitive brain. So the primitive brain is where our habits are, are stored. And our rational brain is where we have our planning, our goals. So of course, when I uh, want to binge, it's not my rational brain because my rational brain knows about that. I don't need that food. I have different goals. I don't want to gain weight. So this comes from our primitive brain and primitive brain has only three, three goals in life, like avoid pain, 
seek for comfort and be as efficient as is possible. That's why we, we build habits. So, uh, so the urge to binge usually comes from our primitive brain. So we have to teach our primitive brain to, to really calm down because we want to make decisions from our rational brain, from our true, true self. I love that. That is perfect. Okay. Let's see. There was something I wanted. Oh, okay. I want to know, you talk a lot about self-respect, self-acceptance, and self-love. Can you break those down and kind of talk about the difference? What does that mean and why are they important? Well, I think that um, it is important because it just feels good. You know, love feels good. So why why would you hate yourself or why would you reject part of yourself if you can just feel uh, love, if you can give yourself uh, compassion, if you can uh, accept yourself and you can do those things just because they feel good. And all of our, if you want to change as a person, if you have some kind of goals, you cannot guilt yourself to do something. You can only do that because you respect yourself, because you you love yourself and you love also your future self. So right now you're taking the actions uh, for your future self. And it's way easier to go through life and to achieve your goals if you are doing it from the position that it just feels good. It just feels good to do something for yourself because uh, because you respect yourself, because you respect your, your body. I think that it's the best way to like evolve to, to another person you want to be. You, you cannot do it by, by self-hatred, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I spent 40 years with self-hatred and I am finally to the stage of acceptance. Yeah. Haven't got to the love part yet not there yet, but working on it. Go yes. through those stages. And, and so people can understand what each of those are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that, okay, first we have this self-hatred. I think that the next, next step would be self-respect that maybe you still don't accept yourself, but at least you respect yourself, maybe respect your body and you have, um, yeah, respect and then only you can go to to like acceptance you don't have to go to like self-love because that's too much let's first accept that the facts let's look for some neutrality let's look for like middle ground that okay this is it is you, you don't have to say like i love myself you can say like it is possible for other people to love themselves. It is possible for me to love myself. It is, um, I can achieve that. Maybe I don't feel that today, but I can uh, I can feel that um, some uh, one day. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to build the bridge from, for example, self-hatred to self-love. And we are doing that step by step. So first we're, we're respecting our body, then maybe we accept our body and ourselves, then we try to look for some positives. And by building those bridge, uh, bridge sentences or bridge beliefs, we can get to self-love. Self so it's, a, it's not like we are jumping from self-hatred to self-love by just doing affirmations. We have to take the, take the middle, middle steps to get there. Yeah, and it, it 
takes a while, especially if you're one of those people who have just beat themselves up for years. I know for a good 20 years, I was cruel to my body and, you know, I hated it. I thought it was something different than me because I had me and then there's this body that I don't even know what this was doing. It was not part of me. It was, it was like an alien or something, you know? And so, and I treated it like that, like it wasn't really part of me. But now I've kind of consolidated that and have accepted that number one, I'm never going to be perfect body-wise. It's just not going to happen. I'm 54. I'll I'll be 55 this year. It's not going to happen. I've had two kids. I've abused my body. I've gained and lost 80 to hundred pounds four times in my life, not to mention all the other times. It's not going to happen. And I, I accept that. I accept that. I accept that I'm not going to go out on the beach in a two piece and guys are going to be going, whoa, what was that? You know, they may be going, whoa, but you know, they're not going to be going, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm okay with that now. I'm okay with that. I accept that it's okay. And I just be the best I can be with what I have and that's perfect. body changes, yeah. you know? Okay. Let's talk a little bit about body image. How does society shape our views of our bodies. And I know it sure did shape the way I viewed my body. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty sad because all of all what we see in the magazines and uh, in media, those are like perfect bodies, which totally, they do not represent the, the whole society. So what we see in the, in the media on social media is probably like the first five percent of of the society and rest of us are like left behind and like oh let's don't look at those bodies they don't exist let's only so show on social media and in media in general what is um um what is perfect but perfect means also not achievable for for everybody so i think that it also contributes um for people to to have to develop binge eating disorder because if binge eating disorder you know starts with dieting we diet because we want to get to that to that body body shape that that we see in in media so that's um, that's a that's a problem yeah definitely <laughs> it's a huge problem because I remember the first issue that that I recognized that started me out on this path, I feel, was being in elementary school. And right about the age of 10, I started to develop. Well, because that wasn't typical of all the other little girls, it made me feel different and wrong and that that there's something wrong with my body so that started me out already hating my body going this is not like everybody else i'm weird it's ugly it's not right um and, and so you know my whole life i've hated the things that you know part of that kind of make you a woman. Right. And, and I, I, I detested that. And, you know, like with my husband, it makes him really sad, but I, I, you know, I, I still, I'm not even sure I've, I've hit the acceptance with that particular body part. At one point I was kind of like, okay, I think I can deal with this, whatever. And now I'm back to going, yeah, no, I don't like them. I just don't like them. And I, I really feel like it was from, you know, back when I was 10. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and that's because of how you're viewed. I was teased, you know, you know, ooh, yeah. look at that, you know, and that's embarrassing. And then of course, as you get older, then the guys, you know, 
woo. And you're like, yes. no, cause they're ick, you know? And yeah. so, but it's in your head, what, what is perceived as beauty or normal even. Yeah. So how yeah. do you deal with that? When somebody comes to you, like what I just said, how would you break that down and help them to be able to accept a part of them that they detest or their whole body in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I would first say that um, that we have to work on on your on your thoughts around it. So let's just remember that what you are thinking right now, what you what is your belief, is sort of just a limiting belief, and you believe that only because you got that that thought, and it's like a broken record in your in your brain. So it's not like you've chosen to think that. It's just something that was uh, that was programmed into you, and right now it's just on a repeat uh, all the time for all of those years. And if that took you, you know, uh, so many years, then it might be as as automatic for you as uh, I don't know, um, brushing brushing your teeth. So I would I would say that the best way to to start seeing it as a just mental habit. I have a mental habit of thinking about this problem, this body image issue. Um, and it, it's just a habit. And if this is a habit, I can change it. I don't have to make make it mean anything about me. So let's start, for example, by recognizing like, oh, that's just a thought. I do not think that thought because it's something I believe in. It's just thought that was repeated so many times that I'm repeating it, but I can choose to repeat different thought. So the best way is just to, you know, catch yourself thinking, thinking that thought, challenge it, maybe even write, write down, you know, on a piece of paper, uh, pros and against that thought. Do you really believe that thought and start to challenge it, start to change it. And I think that, of course, if this is wired into your brain, then and if this is the belief you've been believing in for many, many years, it's mm-hmm. not going to be easy to, to change it like within a week. Yeah. But 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 it, everything is possible just because we have this just because our brain is plastic and we can change everything we we believe in i i i i, I believe that <laughs> I, I believe it too because you know like i said i i've changed a lot through the yeah. years you know in in the last four years a lot of change in, in my mental attitude yeah. towards my body um but you know so many people it, it just kills me to to see that they have such a negative self-image and yet when you look at them you're like what are you even talking about you know yeah. What, yeah. what why are you so upset? just like my husband he's like people would kill to have what you have and i'm like they can have it they have it then you know and he's like you don't understand there's not a single guy in here that would say and I'm like really that's what you're going to come at me with Um, but yeah it is very true and do you think that that is kind of a a form of body dysmorphia and Hmm. does that kind of go together in somewhat with binge eating like because of of I call it trauma because to me it was trauma and you know trauma affects you it can affect your health too so do you think that that has any kind of a play with developing later in life these issues to deal with your negative self-image I guess you'd say yeah uh, I would say that it is it is totally possible and every and 
very many many things even like uh, some minor incidents can can cause trauma in people <laughs> so i would say that yeah uh, it is possible that all of those things are somehow tied uh, tied together and they might cause later in life development of some uh, eating disorder or body body dysmorphia did any of that happen to you can you pinpoint any time in your life where you just like an, an event that just kind of happened that that just really you know stuck in your head that you kept replaying um i don't i don't think so but but uh, i can i can tell you how my early life experiences shaped how how i see um how i see women body because you've mentioned one situation from from your your life so uh, my my sis I have two older sister and one of them has big breasts and she 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 had the same experience probably as you as you did that many people you know would comment on that many people from our family and I was the the youngest sister so I um, me watching my sister you know going through that I was like praying like please don't give me big breasts I didn't <laughs> wanted it <laughs> you know so so my experience is that. Uh, and my experience was that, you know, for many people, uh, what they want is big breasts. And for me, I didn't want it. So my childhood experience um, shaped me right now that I'm totally fine with, with my boobs being the size they are. And I'm very happy that they are not big because I watched my sister right. going through all of that. So, uh, so again, I think that, that what we are going through in now, during our teenage years, that is, that is sort of uh, important and that shapes our, our beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have a, a funny story is, uh, you know, people talk about how, oh, they want, you know, large breasts and all that. And, and, and I'm just like, you have no clue what that's like. You just have no clue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it does shape how you, you see things. And speaking of that, as far like self-image and, and self-acceptance and the movement of, you know, acceptance, everybody accept exactly what you are. It's okay to be overweight. It's, it's okay. Like for instance, cruise on the beach. And you'll see somebody who is very overweight wearing a bikini and they're just kind of all hanging out, but they don't care. They're yeah. just, woo, they're what accept me or deal, you know, whatever. And then you have people like me who even, you know, look decent in a bathing suit. I'd be like, oh, I ain't doing that. But I would envy that person because yeah. they had the, you know, mental whatever to just say, the yeah. hell with you. I'm going to yeah. wear what I want when I want and how I want. And it, but is that a good thing? I mean, do you think that's a good thing? And, and where I'm coming with that is people who have been told to, you know, accept your body, love your body, all that, which is a great message, but it, it, to me, sometimes it almost feels like it's don't worry about obesity or whatever, because it, it's I'm looking at it as a health issue, not as an aesthetic issue. Yep. And so in some sense, it, it bothers me because I'm like, oh, you know, you're going to have so many health issues, not, oh, you're so fat. No. But what do you think about that? The, the whole uh, body image, you know, positivity thing mm -hmm. that goes yep. on. 
yeah so uh how i see it is that everybody has their body autonomy and they can do whatever whatever they want to if somebody asks me for advice or my opinion on their body i can do that uh, other than that yeah they they can do whatever they they want to do and in case of like accounts that that promote body positivity health at every size i just take um take what it, what is good for me uh, and i leave the the rest behind so uh, there, let's say that they put up some kind of message and i have my own interpretation internal interpretation and i always try to make it positive so uh, instead of seeing that the bad um, the bad side of the message i always try to try to see the positive and try to be you know inspired so if i would see a person you know being proud of a even bigger larger larger body i would try to think like oh my god this person has has a balls to do that i can do that uh, as well. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so so i'm trying to just just look at it through the the, the positive lens <laughs> yeah and, and to me it's like freedom yeah you know yeah. Th there's a lot of things like being uh dealing with my food addiction and now that I feel really comfortable with that, that freedom is awesome. But to be able to have the freedom where you don't give two craps when anybody else thinks about how you look. And I am not there yet. I'm yeah. not there yet. I'm way better than I was. I'm in front of a camera for heaven's sakes. I would yeah. have never done that. So I've come a long way, but I still recognize the fact that I am not comfortable enough just to wear whatever I want. I'm a little better. I, I, I wear some things that, you know, are real flashy that draws attention to me, which I would have never done before. So a little bit of improvement, but going on the beach and, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I still can't do that, well, but I envy that. Yeah. But we also don't know what is happening in somebody else's head. You know, they may still have insecurities. They might, you know, Very true. go, go outside their, their comfort zone and, and show up on the beach uh, in a bikini, but still internally, they might have some, some trouble, troubles with that. So we have to be careful with like thinking, um, be, that we know what what is somebody's head because they may also struggle but they are you know pushing through pushing yeah well you know sometimes you just have to do that and yeah. again like with me doing podcasts for instance yeah. being in front of the camera instead of behind the camera is huge but I make yeah. myself do that for growth to, yeah. to get over that uncomfortableness yeah and so I think that that's absolutely correct Okay, yeah, let's that's, see. That's the same. That's the same for me. <laughs> okay, I think I might have. Let me see what our time is like before I get into. Ooh, okay. All right. Well, I think we pretty much answered actually most of the stuff I have on my list. But if you could give somebody some advice, somebody who is really struggling with binge eating and they're frustrated and they've read the intuitive book, they've done all this kind of work, what can you tell them that will help them be able to, to deal with what they're feeling and be able to move forward and do something about it that's productive? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that the best would be just to to reach out for help and to maybe receive some outside opinion of what is what is going on. And I think that it is also very comforting to talk to somebody who maybe 
works with this kind of people because then you then that person can hold uh, a space for you and that person will approach you in non-judgmental way so i think that this is the the best way to just reach out for somebody who you know that that knows uh, something about about binge eating and they will probably point you out into the direction you have to you have to, you have to uh, go even if you don't want to work with them you know uh, in a coaching session or you don't want to have a therapist they still will point you out into the resources that might be helpful for you because sometimes you know uh, just googling something online it, it won't help you you need you need a real person who can uh, who can look at your, your case and and assess what would be best option for you I agree with that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really hard to try to do things on your own because support is crucial. Even with just changing diets, it's crucial you have some kind of support because you have all these people who are not doing the same thing as you and yep. you feel like the freak or like, you know, something is not right with you. That it, it makes it very difficult to sustain. Yeah. So it would make sense. It would be the same with binge eating recovery and also eating disorders too. It's very difficult to handle everything on your own yeah. and it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, totally. But uh, maybe it would be also important to like open up to, to your friends and family because mm -hmm. Knowing the prevalence of eating disorders, I think that you already know people who also struggle with uh, with eating disorders, but everybody just hides it because you know after when I yeah. when I talk to my friends from from the past, all of a sudden you know everybody went through like problems with eating, but at the time nobody admitted to that. So I think that there are more people who struggle with the same as you do, but just nobody talks about it. That is really, that's interesting you said that because my family didn't really know. And uh, my husband now, he was my boyfriend since I, I was 15. And so he was the one that actually figured it out and confronted me on it. My family didn't know. Matter of fact, m my more extended family, like my aunts, um, when they, they see me put out these stories, because now I'm very open about it. And they're like, Oh, honey, I had no idea. I did not know you, you had so much pain yeah. and you struggled so hard. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, but like, you're yeah. going to talk about it. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and an eating disorder, unless you're severely anorexic, anorexic, isn't just, you know, sitting on your shoulder going, hello, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is me yeah. in life here. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. well, Natalia, Thank you so much for joining me and coming on the podcast. It has been a blast. I'm glad I got to pick your brain and y'all subscribe to my channel and go follow Natalia. I'll have all her information below. She has some wonderful posts out there and it doesn't matter what diet style you follow. Her stuff is great and very helpful. So again, thank you so much and you have a wonderful rest of your evening. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure for me. Yeah. Bye. Absolutely. Bye, Natalia.